everyone, and welcome back to Pastrami Law Melt, where we fill your lunch with the law. My name is Brian Pastore, and I'm a trial attorney in Southern California. During this podcast, we're going to be talking about the infamous McDonald's coffee case again, but this is going to be a part two. Um, also, since I'm a lawyer, I should probably put in the standard legal disclaimer that nothing in this podcast should be construed as legal advice. This is all meant to be educational. So if you think that you do need legal advice, make sure that you consult with an attorney who is licensed to practice in your area. So with all that being said, today I am once again here with my friend and former coworker Dan Short. And what I want to do in this podcast is talk about the McDonald's coffee case, but really go into what was almost certainly happening in the background that a lot of people don't know a lot about unless they're a lawyer. Uh, specifically, we're going to be talking about insurance companies, how they influence cases like this, and also the practice of insurance defense work, which is actually how Dan and I worked together originally was we both, I, I'm an insurance, was an insurance defense attorney for about a decade. And Dan worked in an insurance defense um, firm as one of the staff members. And so we both know a bit about that from different perspectives within the firm. And of course, now that I work predominantly on the plaintiff side, um, I'm dealing with the same insurance companies uh, that I used to have to deal with from the defense side. So with all of that being said, how's it going, Dan? It's going. <laughs> it's been a long week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, it's who doesn't love to talk about insurance companies, right? I mean, <laughs> what, what, let's get the energy hopefully going. They don't hunt us down because we're talking badly about insurance companies because people don't realize just how much power and and how much money insurance companies actually like mess with in the country. Or in the world, probably. Yeah, and it's one of those things that it almost sounds like you're a conspiracy theorist. Um, unless you, you know, we've talked about this before, both amongst ourselves, you know, just it's, uh, and in the workplace and just during lunch breaks. Um, I don't think most people realize how huge the insurance industry is. Um, Probably my favorite way of describing the insurance industry to people, and admittedly, some of this depends on how you do the math, but basically, if you were to just say, if we took all of the different types of insurance that exist and just said globally, how big is that industry of all the different types, automotive insurance, life insurance, health insurance, globally, the insurance industry is bigger then the entire automobile manufacturing industry, so Tesla, Toyota, every, every single car you can think of, all automotive manufacturing. They're also bigger than the telecommunications industry, so AT&T, Verizon, and every other telecommunications company you can think of. They're bigger than agriculture, so food. They're bigger than agribusiness. Insurance is bigger than the IT world. In the age of information, they're still bigger than information. And globally, they're even bigger than the oil and gas industry. They're huge. 5.5 trillion. Expected and, to grow at compounded annual growth to um, just over 8 trillion 
by 2026. Yeah. And there have been some projections that have even put them up into 20 to 30 trillion. They're huge. Yeah. Trillion with a T. Um, I know I've said this before, but it's, I think it's, it, you're talking about numbers that people have trouble comprehending. Um, you might know this because we've talked about this kind of stuff before, but I'll just ask you. There's only one industry in the United States that the U.S. insurance industry is not as big as. And again, this kind of depends on how you do the math. But do you know what that industry is? My first guess would be defense. Well, okay. <laughs> That's a really good one because it's hard to talk about market caps, market capitalization on uh, the defense industry <laughs> because um, they don't really make money but they get money. So yeah, it, it's funny. If you were to say the defense contractors, independent contractors, then no. Um, Probably something in medical then. Medical wouldn't be a bad guess. Um, medical industry, healthcare industry is generally one of the biggest, but not as big as even health insurance industry. Um, but if you merge all the insurance industries together, the only industry in America that's bigger, and it's almost silly when you say it out loud it's kind of obvious the banking industry so the Do only <laughs> yeah the only people who have more money than the insurance industry in america are the people who literally hold on to all of the money so yeah that's how big the insurance industry is and i i just in, in country comparison because the number hurt my brain so i had to look it up uh-huh Japan's, I guess the the nominal GDP for 2017, which is the last good numbers I found, was just under five trillion, and the yeah. 2022 global um, for insurance is 5.5. So it means that they are the, if it was a country, third largest GDP in the world. Yeah, that's it's it's kind of mind boggling to think about how insanely powerful the insurance industry is. Um, they employ in the United States alone, because um, I just looked this up, 2.86 million people. That's a lot. Um, and it, what makes them interesting is it kind of depends on, so their profit margins depend on the insurance industry, but they could be anywhere between four and 25%, meaning every year, they rake in about a trillion in revenue and they're keeping billions upon billions of dollars in profit. So it's a big industry. It's an incredibly effective industry uh, as far as making money goes. Um, and also, if you think about just how effective insurance companies are, I think when people talk about insurance companies, and I don't blame anyone if they're listening to this thinking, ah, it sounds kind of boring. But you know their jingles, right? Even the boring companies that don't do anything, at least they don't make anything. There's no product. There's no, you still know all of Geico's, you know, commercials, you know. Um, Stupid lizard. Yeah. You, <laughs> you know the gecko. You know the, you know, you even know, you know all their mascots. They're insurance company mascots. And you probably know who they are better than if I were to ask you for NFL mascots. I mean, I know what they are, but it's it depends on who you're talking to, right? But everyone knows these insurance companies. They know 
the Geico cavemen. They know, you know, flow from progressive, right? <laughs> we, we know right. them and it's a, and mayhem and all, you know, and, uh, it, and you know, all their slogans, it's because they have the money to dump it in the marketing so that you remember them because they are just one thing that I've told people is the insurance industry. When you just think about why does it exist? And uh, specifically the for-profit insurance industry. Why do they exist? Well, in theory, the idea is if you and I were to, um, you know, let's say we both said, hey, something could go wrong with one of us. We both, you know, we're both, we go, both go skiing. We both engage in dangerous activities from time to time. Um, one of us might get hurt at some point. So we should probably put money into a pot that is kind of like the savings for just in case somebody gets hurt. That way it's not like one of us might say, Oh my God, I'm not in a good financial place. And if one of the two of us get hurt, then the money goes to them. So it's kind of a risk. Um, it's a way of managing your risk of putting the money into this pot. But if you get enough people together and that, that pot starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so sooner or later, you're going to say, you know what? Somebody should probably manage this pot and make sure that it's maintained and pays things out when they need to be paid out. That's an insurance company. The thing is, is if the insurance company is for profit, well, how do you make a profit out of this system? You need to find a way to not give people money out of the pot. And that's or, their industry. Or, or you use the banks. <laughs> yeah, or you invest <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I know. It's more that... It, Somebody out there is going to be an economist who's going to say, yeah, it's a little more complicated than that, which it is. But at the end of the day, insurance is the only industry. And I challenge you to think of something else that's an actual for-profit industry where their business model is to not give you the goods and services that you paid for. Not that they don't, get, they don't want to give you a lower quality thing than what you expected. They literally don't want to give you the thing you paid for. I mean, Take, you should probably also not want to have to use the thing you paid for because that means something bad happened. True, but it's not like they said, hey, the end of the year just came around and it turned out you didn't use us, so here's all your money back, right? They they still want to hold on. Not even that, but money back minus whatever we needed to pay our employees to manage your money, right? Once your money goes to the insurance companies, it's gone, right? <laughs> the only way you get it back is to make a claim and... Say what you will about, as we were talking about the McDonald's, um, you know, McDonald's, you may be disappointed by their cheeseburgers. Um, I worked there when I was 16 years old. I wouldn't blame you if you're disappointed with their cheeseburgers. But they still want you to get a cheeseburger when you give them money. And they want you to enjoy that cheeseburger, right? They, they hope that you enjoy it. Um, that's not the insurance industry. They don't want to give you your money back <laughs> when something goes wrong. They want to hold on to it. And this is, and, and candidly, this is why attorneys such as myself are in business is you contact an attorney so that you can go get some of this money. Um, and the McDonald's coffee case is no exception to that. Um, what, almost certainly happened. And you know, this from just working in insurance defense before she even contacted an attorney before the plaintiff even contacted an attorney, she contacted insurance and said, I want to make a claim because I've been hurt. 
And what ended up happening was the insurance companies not only dragged it out, which they have a huge incentive to drag things out, because the longer you drag things out, the more likely the plaintiff is, if she's old, she might die. So if she dies, you don't have to worry about paying out anymore. Um, and I know that's kind of dark, but it is something that they definitely factor in because I've had those calls with insurance adjusters that will tell me, hey, maybe they'll die. Um, so that is a thing. Also, if you drag it out for a long time, it's possible that they just burn out, that they lose interest, that they don't want to fight on it anymore, and they just go away. Um, or uh, anything else could happen. They have another issue in their life, and they just don't want to fight it anymore. So insurance companies actively in the early stages try to find ways to delay. And this was no different. They say, send us all of your uh, medical bills. Oh, we don't have enough of your medical bills. Send us more of your medical bills. A and what they're doing is they're dragging it out on purpose. Um, they're also building up a file so that when they pay out the claim, they don't get fired for paying out a claim without a file. But that's not, that's not the main goal here. The main goal here is to get you to go away. Um, also, uh, as you may know this, I don't know if you've ever frequented any of the various uh, online forums for the law, uh, especially if Reddit has a few forums like this where they have legal advice forums or uh, insurance forums. There yeah, are not the boring ones, but probably <laughs> the ones you don't bother with. The really, really bad ones that you don't want to waste your time at. There are so many people who will actively discourage you from getting an attorney. They almost certainly work for the insurance companies. They do not want you to get an attorney. Um, insurance shills. Yeah, I cannot tell you. Well, it's probably not shills. Probably people who actually paid um, <laughs> to specifically to say that because it's. I mean, at the end of the day, I can't tell you how many times I've had clients where they came to me and the insurance company's offering them anywhere between zero and 5,000 bucks. And I get them six to seven figures because I know what the case is worth, but your everyday person doesn't. And I know exactly how to mess with the insurance companies because I, I mean, I've literally stood next to them as they're typing things into their computer program that tells them how to evaluate the case. So I know what the case is worth, but a lot of uh, everyday people won't. And so the insurance company can just mess with them. And they don't want an attorney who's familiar with what a case is worth to ever be in the case. Um, so <laughs> that's what was happening in McDonald's. That was what was happening in the background. She finally got an attorney, and that's what led to the case, which ultimately led to the lawsuit that led to everything we were talking about in the last podcast. Um, also, I know this is kind of going back a little bit, but when you mentioned, um, just to put it in perspective of McDonald's, so the insurance companies would have been the ones paying out on the McDonald's coffee case, almost certainly. Um, depends. There's other things that could be going on. It was in another state. So the California bad faith and opening up the policy options that can happen may or may not have even existed. And also, this was decades ago, so I'm not sure if all the same protections were there. But just to get an idea of how much money McDonald's has compared to a lot of insurance companies and the overall insurance industry, McDonald's 
which exists all over the world, so it's all over US, all over Europe, all over Asia, it's everywhere, is $22 billion a year. That's kind of like an okay insurance company level of money. They're not that huge compared to the overall insurance industry. It's mom and pop insurance. Yeah. And it's, and it's still billions. So with a B, still a lot of money. But it's when you're thinking about, we kind of previewed this before, why would insurance companies be so worked up about the McDonald's coffee case? It's because they have so much more to lose, not because they're worried about one McDonald's case or every McDonald's case that might happen, but they have to worry about insurance and not just, they have to worry about numbers in general going up in the minds of juries all over the United States on every single case. Because if jurors start getting the idea of burn victims should get millions of dollars, then every burn victim gets millions of dollars. And then you can imagine somebody might say, well, if a burn victim's getting millions of dollars, then what about somebody who's paralyzed? They should get hundreds of millions of dollars and so on and so forth, right? Um, so insurance companies are worried not just about one case going badly against them. They're worried about the news being made and being converted into a, if you get hurt in America, you should go get an attorney because they can get you big money as it's opposed to cascading effect. Yeah, exactly. They don't want what they, and so what they'd rather do is they'd rather manipulate it into everything's out of control. <laughs> Juries are out of control. This is out of control. Um, and that's what they're shooting for when in, you know, because they're afraid of the opposite happening. Um, and that's why when we were talking about tort reform, um, there's been a lot of discussion on tort reform. It's been a con, I mean, it's something that will come up time and time again, because it's something that is not only big businesses very, very heavily involved in and were involved in, um, especially the tobacco industry right after the McDonald's coffee case, because they also had a lot to be concerned about with lawsuits constantly coming down for how they market and how they encourage people, especially children to smoke. But the insurance companies were also very, very much involved in tort reform because they're very much concerned uh, that people get the idea of, you know, hey, these cases are worth a whole lot of money. Um, another thing just to kind of keep just because we're talking about insurance. Um, if you're just trying to think, well, what kind of cases are involved? I know I mentioned that I do personal injury cases, but it's not just, you know, automobiles and slipping and falling um, or, you know, workers' compensation cases. If you get hurt on the workplace or cases like um, it, it's not just uh, medical malpractice cases, but there's also uh, insurance for all different types of employment cases, real property. So like, houses and uh, commercial real estate disputes. There's insurance for professional liability. So malpractice insurance for doctors, lawyers, financial advisors. There's a lot of insurance out there. And I don't think people realize how it usually plays out. So if you contact McDonald's and you say, hey, McDonald's, I got hurt because of your product. If McDonald's has insurance for that thing, 
they write a letter. They, they say you're, you're tendering the claim to the insurance company. You're letting the insurance company know, hey, we're, somebody is making a claim against us. You need to insure us. And that's when the insurance company gets started, gets involved, and will usually try to get the individual on the phone immediately because what they want is to get as much information as they can get before an attorney gets involved. Um, so something you might have had happen and uh, you know, our listeners might have had happen at some point is an insurance company might call up and say, would you be willing to do a, an audio recording? And what they really want is for you to say things in the audio recording like, oh, I'm feeling like I'm getting better, or yeah, I think I might be okay next week, or oh, I don't feel like I'm in that much pain. So that now, if let's say you have a disc that's impinging on a nerve, but the nerves got messed up in the auto accident, so you don't know that you're in pain, but in two weeks when things start healing up, the nerves start firing like crazy and you're screaming, they can say, well, you said two weeks ago that you were fine, and we have it in a recording, in the hopes that they can use that as leverage to try to settle the case and tell the attorney when they finally get involved, hey, we've got evidence against your client that they were fine. That they're faking it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Which sometimes happens too. Yeah. I mean, to be, to be fair, it's, uh, I mean, you know, insurance fraud is something that insurance companies are always going to point out is a thing. Um, what's interesting is, you know, I don't know if you were in these meetings. So what ends up happening is you have these claims and the insurance company will go back and forth collecting information. Uh, if it's a, for example, if it's a personal injury case, so something really straightforward, like a car accident case, they're going, to, they might send somebody out to take pictures of the car. They're going to do all of the basic steps to check and see, are you faking it? But and they're also going to do everything they can to drag it out. Um, they might make an offer for you know your injuries at some really really low rate, um, if if at all. And they'll probably give you the runaround for as long as they can, because they know that there's a statute of limitations, uh, certain limit on how much time you have before you can file personal injury. Um, this is California, but you're looking at two years from the time that you learn of your injury, just the discovering your injury, which if it's a car accident would be around the, the time you got in the car accident. Um, and so they're hoping to run the clock out. But if you get an attorney and the attorney files a lawsuit, well, insurance companies, much to their dismay, can't be the attorneys. They need to actually have gone to law school. They're claims adjusters who not to be mean, but often don't even have college degrees and are doing everything that a computer program is telling them to do. What they do is they have to pass the file on to an attorney. And that's where we get to the insurance defense attorneys, um, who that's where you and I worked. And it's something that, again, if you work in the law as an attorney and you work in litigation, you probably know that insurance defense firms employ a lot of attorneys. And it's an extremely huge industry, but it's, you'd never know it exists if you weren't in the legal profession, or at least I don't think you'd know, or unless you were a company that dealt with insurance claims a lot. Um, basically, we're, we're the attorneys who the insurance companies pay to defend. Um, and in theory, we represent 
the defendant. So like if it's a car accident, we're supposed to represent the defendant. But in practice, our bills are all paid by the insurance companies and the insurance companies. I don't know if you were at any of these meetings, Dan, but they very openly tell you, you work for them. And don't forget, you work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to love, they'd say, don't bother the defendants. They're, they're doing important things. If they're a pharmaceutical company, they're busy saving lives. Don't bother them asking them for you know, information. We'll ask them. And don't bother them with uh, you know, too much legal strategy or too many memos. Send the memos to us. Plausible <laughs> deniability. Y- yeah, just, <laughs> but also just control. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny when you were saying that, I, I know I kind of had to skip a, a, ahead but, um, and go through a long monologue to get here, but when you said that some claims that are faked exist, um, so insurance companies love to hold uh, little, they'll either have a CLE, continuing legal education class, or they'll have some kind of instructional class, like whether it's a PowerPoint or just a, a white paper, something they love to have us, the insurance defense attorneys, read and hear about, where they point out how every plaintiff's attorney is a liar. They're all liars and they're all tricking you with these manipulative tactics. And it's very much a kind of like a trying to get you to drink the Kool-Aid kind of process. And what's funny is, is now that I've worked on the defense and the plaintiff side, I've heard the conspiracy theories that both sides have for the other side. And it's hilarious to me because they're both wrong. Like it's, (laughs) It's wildly wrong. And when it comes to insurance defense attorneys, they don't even have enough autonomy to come up with a conspiracy because the insurance companies tell you what to do. That's um, the real conspiracy. Yeah, that's, that's the real thing that's going on. Um, there's this really funny moment that I never even understood it until, um, until I switched to the plaintiff side where the insurance company for two years with, um, you know, the plaintiff's attorney keeps giving the plaintiff's attorney some explanation of what they think happened. Right. And the plaintiff's attorney keeps telling them that's ridiculous. And here's why I've got evidence saying it's ridiculous, but the insurance company probably because they have an adjuster who's on the phone who probably is just saying what the computer program is telling them to say, but they just keep using this standard argument over and over again. And it's, kind of driving the plaintiff's attorney nuts because they keep producing more and more evidence that they're wrong. Like they might say, oh, well, I think your client blew through the red light. And they're like, there's no red light there. <laughs> they keep showing them evidence. And for two years, this happens, right? And what I thought was funny was when I started on the defense side, when the case gets handed over to you, you're brand new to the case, right? Like you're just walking in. You haven't been, the insurance adjuster has been handling it for two years, but now it's in a lawsuit. So they have to give it to a lawyer. So if you're an insurance defense lawyer, you're a defense lawyer that the insurance company said, here's the file. But a lot of times there'll be some memo or at least a phone call to tell you what's happening in the case from the insurance adjuster. And they'll say the same thing they've been saying for two years to you. Like, yeah, you know what we think happened was they blew through the red light. So then what you do is you call up opposing counsel, the plaintiff's attorney, and you say, you know... I, I understand what you're saying, but it does look to me like maybe your client blew through the red light. 
and the <laughs> and the plaintiff's counsel will lose their mind. <laughs> They'll be like, for two years, I've been making this argument with the adjuster. <laughs> and, so, and they're so mad they'll bite your head off and i now that i'm on the plaintiff side i i just say who told you that <laughs> like, who told you that did you did you divine that from pulling together all of the police report and all the other information or did the insurance adjuster tell you that and they're like maybe they told us that because <laughs> i know that for 10 years that's what was happening was they would tell me here's the argument you should make. And then as the case pr progresses, you start to realize that maybe that argument's right, or maybe it's not the best argument in the world. And you start sending memo after memo after memo to the insurance company saying, Hey, you need to settle because you're wrong. Um, and there's this funny thing. I know I'm just kind of rambling right now, but it's talking about 10 years of insurance defense shenanigans. Um, there's this funny thing that I don't think people realize uh, insurance companies will, they'll control the insurance defense attorney sometimes down to the, you're not allowed to take a deposition for more than two hours. Like they'll straight up tell you, we will not pay if you take a deposition for longer than X amount of time. And a lot of plaintiff's attorneys don't know this, but, and I would never do this. And I want to be very clear. I would never, ever do this. It would be wrong. I would never do it. But if you start noticing an insurance defense attorney seems to be rushing through the deposition, if your client were to need a couple bathroom breaks, you'll see the other side rush even <laughs> faster <laughs> to get through their deposition because they know they're only going to get paid for X number of hours. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not every case. It's not every insurance company that does this. But every so often, I've never been mean enough to do that. But I've always thought, ooh, what if I took a 30-minute break right now? Um, because I know that they're going to freak out and just skim to the end and just say, you know, are you making this claim? No good, moving on. Um, because they're under the gun. And, and also, I should probably, this is my favorite thing. I always tell people, my insurance defense attorneys who've never worked plaintiff side this, um, and then we can move back to the, I promise I'll get back to the McDonald's case and insurance companies in general. But my favorite thing that happens when you talk to insurance defense attorneys who've heard nothing but memo and meeting and white paper um, about how plaintiff's attorneys are all lying and plaintiffs are all lying. Um, it's, it, it's the same thing. It's, oh, plaintiff's attorneys are all lying because they're trying to make money. And their clients are all lying because they're trying to make money. And their doctors who they see, you know, the ER doctors are lying um, because they want to get paid. And the, you know, expert doctors are all lying. And the expert engineers who are getting paid by the plaintiff's attorneys are all lying. Everyone's lying. My favorite thing to do is to turn to the defense attorney who is um, convinced that every single person on the plaintiff's side is lying and say, yeah, no, you're probably right. Um, and, and who's telling you that? Oh, the insurance companies. They're, they're telling you that we're all liars. Um, but they trust you, right? So every month when you submit your billables and say, I build 200 hours, they say, yeah, I'm sure you build 200 hours and it's all legitimate and they don't cut a single hour. That's what happens, right? Because they trust you. And I can tell you, 
No, they don't. <laughs> they nobody cuts your hours like an insurance company. It's also and, funny that the 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 person who's saying everybody just wants to get paid is literally the only one who's getting paid constantly through the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, and and by law usually, if it, depending on what it, how it's set. So if it's an auto case, by law, if it's healthcare, by law, you have to pay them. So they're they have so much power that they've written it into our laws that we have to pay them. If you want to drive a car, you have to pay an insurance company. They have to make money, and what they do is they say everyone is a liar. The moment that person says, okay, you now got to pay me. Including the insurance uh, defense attorneys who say, here's my billable hours for all the work I did. Um, there's something really special about having an insurance company cut your hours and say something like, you spent too much time in LA traffic. I'm going to cut your time for that. Because if there's anything in the world I wanted to do when I was working for insurance companies was to spend time in L.A. traffic and then be told I'm not getting paid for it. Yeah, for some people, it was it was the better choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That, that much, people... <laughs> much more pleasant than uh... <laughs> than being in the firm and dealing with the partners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's that's a whole nother story that's actually a little more personal the two of us and <laughs> what we got to watch um but anyway um so, so it's an interesting thing that you brought up though with with um insurance companies kind of embedding themselves into laws um i mean you you had told me before and i had no idea before that like you you can't bring up some insurance things in trial, like to the jury. Yeah, you can't. Um, in fact, uh, so if you're in federal court, it's rule 411. Um, uh, and California, it's, uh, it's the evidence code section 1155. Um, you can't, this is actually something the insurance companies lobbied hard for. So if, if everything I'm saying right now, if you're not somebody in the legal profession and you're saying, wait a second, insurance companies are all over the place and they're a trillion dollar industry and they're involved in so many lawsuits. Why, when I was sitting on a jury trial and there was a car accident case, why did I never hear about Allstate or Geico or Nationwide or whoever might have been there? Or whether and, or not the person was insured? Yeah, or whether or not the person was insured. It's because, um, so California Evidence Code uh, 1155, Section 1155, specifically states that any evidence that an individual at the time um, of the harm was insured wholly or partially against a loss um, arising from liability from the harm, that's inadmissible to prove negligence or other wrongdoing. So that's a lot of legalese to say, you're not allowed to bring evidence into court to prove that the other side was wrong in any way. And we have this thing, kind of goes into evidence at trial, but we have these things called motions in limine where you can keep out evidence of a lot of different things from trial. And you can be pretty much certain that if you're in a case where there's an insurance defense attorney, they're going to put up a motion in limine that says you're not allowed to bring anything in about insurance. So you're not allowed to mention it at all because a lot of judges will just say, yeah, no mentions of insurance period. Um, and it's because, well, it's funny. 
what you're told in law school is the reason this is there is because we don't want to punish people for getting insurance. Um, and we don't want the jury to say, oh, well, they're insured, so we'll just give a bigger number. But How the dare you have that thing that the law requires you to have? Yeah. But realistically, it wouldn't be them paying out. It would be the insurance company. So they're not being punished. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the insurance company would be punished. So really what's going on is the insurance companies don't want you to. I mean, think about it. If you're in a case, if I were able to say in a case, my client got hurt and you're a juror sitting there and I say, and the only reason that you're even here today, that you can't be spending time at work or with your family, but you had to be dragged down into a jury room right now is because the insurance company who had $50,000 of insurance and their medical bills are $50,000, they refuse to settle this case. They refuse to insure. And that's why you're here right now. Imagine how angry the jurors would be. And if I could even take it a step further and say, just so you know, um, this accident that injured my client, I understand that a little old lady hit them with a car, but my client has a brain injury. And that little old lady, she's not going to pay for it. Her insurance is going to pay for it. And so that's why we're asking for $20 million because to an industry that's worth, you know, pulls in a, a, a trillion a year in revenue, 20 million is nothing. It's a drop in the bucket to them. But to my client, it could be life-changing. If you're an insurance company, you're in trouble. <laughs> if that kind of evidence could come in, um, you can be sure that an insurance company is going to get hit over and over and over again. And jurors are going to be livid. I mean, imagine if you were sitting, have you, have you ever been on a jury trial? I don't know if I've ever asked you this. They always remove me as soon as they start <laughs> like me how what did you do for school and then then i'm gone yeah fair enough same thing happens to me the moment anyone finds out i'm a lawyer i'm gone but um but uh if you were dragged onto a jury and you didn't want to be there and you had other things you'd rather be doing with your week or your three weeks or months um and you found out that this case could have settled but it didn't because an insurance company didn't want to pay out because they wanted to save some money um, I don't know. How would you feel about that? <laughs> um, I I would be more than a little bit upset. Like, just look, can you do punitive damages for like no reason? <laughs> You're not to no. The answer is no. It has to be under at least in California, malice, suppression, and fraud, and has to there's, but but about jury nullification of the thing where they can't talk about insurance. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. It's like you'd wish that there'd be a way you could slip it in. But um, no, at, at least for right now, it's it's part of the law. It It is the 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 jury can never find out. They can guess. Right. I mean, if you're if it's an auto case, there's insurance. Right. Or anytime you're looking at somebody and saying, wait a second, it's a little old lady who's really poor. But somehow there's five attorneys that she's got defending her. How did yeah. that happen? <laughs> They're insurance defense attorneys. Um, and, you know, it's uh, it's it's attorneys that the insurance companies hire to protect the insurance company and the insured. But um, what they and, and what they really don't want is a big verdict, because as we were saying, big verdicts do a lot of bad things for insurance companies. Um, 
especially if it comes out later, there's, you know, like I said, I don't want to get into a long discussion on bad faith in this podcast, but California has rules where if they could have insured and they didn't, and now there's a major verdict that's come down, the insurance company could not only have a problem where the policy might've been opened up and they're liable, but they also could have problems with being sued for punitive damages for not, um, uh, not doing their job, basically not doing the one thing they're supposed to do, which is ensure not providing the service people are paying them for. Yeah. Which admittedly is kind of their thing to not do that. But as we've already discussed, but yeah, so, you know, so the, from, yeah, Oh, what are you saying? I was going to say, so then what's the, um, like the, the insurance adjuster and insurance defense input into the McDonald's case. So you'll never know exactly what went on um, because unfortunately, uh, so unless you're suing for bad faith, um, unless you're able to actually get to discovery um, on the communications between the attorneys and the insurance company, insurance companies essentially have attorney client privilege. um, And it's very hard to get at what they were doing at every stage. Um, there are ways you can find out whether or not they were agreeing to settle or not. Um, but what we do know about that case is we do know that in the beginning, there was a claim made insurance got involved on day one, um, or at least very close to day one. We do know that from there, they kept delaying and delaying and delaying and refusing to offer pretty much anything for her severe injuries. Um, despite the fact that she almost died. And it was only when she just kept asking for her medical bills to be paid. It was only when they refused to pay the medical bills that plaintiff's attorneys got involved. Um, I can tell you that the insurance defense attorneys wouldn't have gotten involved almost certainly until the lawsuit. Um, On rare occasions, if I have a monster case, sometimes I'll hear from an insurance defense attorney before I've even filed a lawsuit. But that's rare. That's really rare. Um, and another thing that, um, I, I could tell you kind of how it would play out. So the file gets handed to the insurance. Once there's a lawsuit, the file will get handled, handed to an insurance defense firm like you and I worked at. Um, then the, uh, this is all assuming, I, I guess I should say sometimes they insurance companies have their own in-house attorneys. So assuming they don't do it in-house and they hand it to an outside counsel, You'd have an insurance defense attorney who would get the file, maybe one of these days, it could be 50 to 100 files. Um, They have so many cases nowadays. Uh, A lot of insurance defense attorneys I've talked to are completely buried in a post-COVID world. But even if they're lucky and they only have 20 to 30 files, um, that file gets to them. They'll immediately, a lot of times insurance defense firms have a lot of things done by form where they'll immediately, um, if they need a time and extension to answer, they'll get asked for the extension and they'll just immediately send written discovery requests that are very formulaic for if it's like a car accident case, like every single car accident question that they ask at every situation. Um, but the thing is, let's say they want to bring a motion. Like, let's say they look at the complaint and they say, you know what, we should bring a demur to this. A lot of times you have to ask for permission before the insurance company will let you do that. Um, same thing, like I said, with the depot. They might, I've had insurance companies, I've actually seen people get fired 
because they wouldn't ask the specific questions that the insurance companies told them to ask during a deposition. Um, so they can, they can dictate what questions are asked in a deposition. Um, I've sat in depositions where the attorney asked a question so horrific that I was pretty certain it came from an insurance company. Um, I guess to give an example, I I'll give you, yeah. I'll, because it's going to be depressing and dark because it was it was really I, bad. I figure, but it was. Um, oh my god! I still can't believe I heard this question in a deposition. It was so. Since your wife was dying of cancer, is it possible you were thinking about your wife and not paying attention to the road? And I was just like, "Did you really bring up his dead wife as <laughs> the reason to blame him for the car accident?" Um, it's the only time I've ever seen a court reporter stop typing and just stare <laughs> like, I can't believe I just heard that. But yeah, things can get a little dark um, when insurance companies are. I can go way darker, by the way, but that would require me talking about my medical malpractice days. And maybe it, I was going to say we'll do a Halloween special next year. <laughs> yeah, it's more of a like take your Xanax before, because I, I, when I did medical mouth, because I've been doing brain injury for so long, I did brain injured babies and when insurance yeah. comp. Yeah. 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 It's, it's literally as much fun as brain injured baby cases sound like they'd be. So I'll just stop right now on that. But yeah, insurance companies will tell lawyers say these things. And I've been asked to say things where I felt like I wanted to throw up afterwards. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I'll be fair and balanced on the insurance companies. They are trying to save money, which I guess is a thing. Um, but anyway, um, rates are only going to go up by 2% next year. Yeah. Instead of, instead of three. So, you know, um, I guess a 15 minute call. Uh, but anyway, what they're, um, but also you said, how would they be controlling things in the McDonald's coffee case? They probably were also controlling major decisions like what kinds of experts are being hired um, and what kind of experts they like. Because a lot of expert witnesses, they work for the insurance companies and the insurance companies, because they have these giant databases, because they deal with tens of thousands of cases, they know who they like. They know who they like for trial. They know who will say the things they want them to say at trial. Um, they know what engineers will come to the conclusion that, you know, every accident is nothing. Um, in the McDonald's coffee case, I think we mentioned this last time, but they had, they, they literally blamed, you know, a old woman for not taking her clothes off fast enough after she'd spoiled essentially boiling water onto herself. I'd like to yeah. think that, that no attorney recommended that. I'd like to think, I, I hope that that was an insurance company recommending it, not the attorneys. Cause that's, yep. that's mm -hmm. pretty awful. Um, and you I know, was thinking of part one of this the other day, um, at work when I, uh, I spilled some 187 degree water on myself. Mm -hmm. Um, luckily, you know, not onto cloth because, uh, that was, that was unpleasant. <laughs> yeah, where'd you spill it? Uh, just forearm. It it was slightly above where my gloves were. So, 
Okay, so splash right off, hopefully. Yeah, splashed right off, but like, I mean, just a splash and you're red for hours. And, yeah. And I'm not I'm not an old lady spilling it on something that's not already, you know, weather worn from being in the sun. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I imagine this is pretty much true for anything that hurts, but if I said, would you like to transfer that onto your genitals? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, no, no. You're like, not the genitals. Yeah, <laughs> definitely yeah. not. That that might be where we, we talk about the brain injury cases in the future, uh-huh. uh, where if we could pick and choose like stuff that gets deleted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be one of those things. <laughs> yeah, memories of that. Yeah, and and yeah, that's well, that's we can we can concussion that away. Yeah. And, you know, it's that's one of the things that's kind of hard about these these types of cases in general is the insurance companies can and for that matter, just anyone who's, uh, you know, giving you the short version in the news or on on a uh, in a newspaper, they're not going to they're not going to have to deal with the harsh realities that the plaintiff actually has to deal with. Right. It's easy to say, oh, that sounds awful anyway, but it's another thing to live with it and actually feel it. Um and so that's, you know, I understand that insurance companies and especially insurance defense attorneys, because I've done it, I understand they're doing their job. They're trying to find a way to not pay out money and they're trying to find a way to fight any claim. And to some extent, this is an adversarial system and a lot of lawyers say, hey, that's part of the game, right? Mm-hmm. You know, just just as in a criminal case, you have defense attorneys who are saying, look, I've got to defend the Constitution. If I'm not here fighting for the Constitution, who will? And so it's not just fighting for the rapists or the murderers, it's fighting for the Constitution. Um, it's a little different to me when it's an insurance company who has trillions of do- or an industry that has trillions of dollars that um, is trying to find a way to not pay out. You but know, that somebody, is... Somebody has to fight for the bottom line. And if, <laughs> yeah. if they don't, it'll just be the banks. Yeah, I know. And then, and then what, then it's, if if we didn't have the insurance industry, suddenly the oil industry is the second biggest industry. We can't have that. Um, actually, I'm not sure in America who would be the second if it weren't for the insurance. I didn't. I'm I'm to guess that it's not close. It's (laughs) yeah, it's, uh, probably not, but either way, um, like you probably go from like Japan GDP to like Micronesia and that's third. Yeah, could be. Um, but either way, you're dealing with, um, you know, it's it's a it is the game. It is part of the system. But because they can lobby heavily for laws, because they keep themselves hidden and hide in the shadows and because they control like puppet masters so much of what you do as an insurance defense attorney and. It's funny because people have asked me many times, you know, you did insurance defense for so many years. Why would you switch away? The answer is always so that I don't have to work for insurance companies. Um, I have had cases where I thought the case was bogus. I thought the plaintiff's case was bogus. I've had them. You know, they happen. But. Well, now you're really going to get into my politics here, but it'll be a cold day in hell before I ever feel bad about taking money from an insurance company. Um <laughs> <laughs> I've had to deal with too many adjusters for too long to ever feel bad about that. Um, and getting if, out of an insurance company in the same, like it, it goes in the same basket as winning something from the lottery. 
doesn't matter how much money you put into it. Like if, if you get three bucks back, you celebrate. Yeah, that's a guy. You know, I never thought of it that way. I like that. That's a good way. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. If you win something in Vegas, it doesn't matter how much you lost along the way. You're still happy that you won something. Um, yeah, it's kind of this. And, and sadly, there's even a little bit of a gambler mentality. That's kind of a component to being an attorney just in general. But um, and in yeah, insurance. and in insurance. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's it's a it's a tough role to be in. I I actually don't hold anything against insurance defense attorneys because not only because I was one because it's more because I understand how hard their jobs are, but you know, they're still fighting for the bad guys as far as I'm concerned. But this is where my politics are getting in. Anyone who's an insurance defense attorney right now is probably squirming a little bit and saying, <laughs> "Hey, hey, I'm not." There are have you seen what Putin's doing? There are people who are worse than insurance companies. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but I think on that note, we, uh, one of the main things I want just to kind of wrap it all up, because I, I admit this was a little more free form than I wanted it to be. And, um, kind of at times rambling and, and definitely I should probably climb down from my soapbox, but it's the biggest thing to understand that I think a lot of people don't realize is this industry is so tied into so many cases and you'll never hear about it if you're on the jury and they're pulling so many strings at so many levels um, that it ends up becoming one of the biggest aspects of the law that no one talks about. And it's the kind of thing that for in the McDonald's case, they were there at the beginning they were the reason that it went into a lawsuit. So this never would have been in our courts if they had settled it early on, but they didn't want to do it. So it found its way into our courts, which is one of the main reasons our courts are clogged is cases like this that really should have been settled, but weren't. Um, then you get into the court system and they want to delay and fight for as long as they can while controlling their insurance defense attorneys as much as they can. Um, Eventually, they might decide, okay, fine, we'll settle. But when we when they don't, then they find themselves in a trial. And if you're a juror, you're getting pulled in, and you're never going to know any of it happened. You're never going to know that that's the reason you're there, is that an insurance company never wanted to settle. And you can be sure that, and this happened in the McDonald's case, if they lose, they're going to appeal, or at least threaten to appeal so that they can settle um, for a lower amount. So their, their entire existence is not only to not pay out, but to find ways to not pay out, which because they wouldn't exist if the law didn't exist, their whole thing is their greatest threat is lawyers, but also the way in which they continue their survival is to keep the law uh, as kind of an ecosystem that they have as much control over as possible, which... They exert when you're a trillion dollar industry, you can exert a lot of influence. So on that note, <laughs> on that happy note about insurance companies, we'll, we'll talk about something happy next time, like brain injuries. Yeah, yeah, sure. We'll definitely we'll have to do something like that. I promise this will get more fun, guys. I'm sorry, but um, this is the world that I work in. This is what I deal with all the time. And the truth is, is. I actually love being a lawyer and I love everything about it. Um, I have an enormous amount of fun in it, but one of the reasons I have so much fun is because I pick and choose my battles. And if you haven't guessed, 
I know who I like to pick my battles against. Um, and so on that note, um, thank you all for listening. I hope this was entertaining or at least somewhat educational. And um, actually scratch that. I hope it was educational and somewhat entertaining. And um, you got it right the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, yeah, we'll, we'll see how. Uh, but if you if you have a chance to comment, feel free to leave something in the comments below. Um, and I hope to all see see you all again in the next one. Thanks.